when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there. If he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? Looking out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Everybody, welcome to the Soto Mojo podcast. This is Colby Patnote. I'm joined, as always, by Ty Gonzalez. Ty, uh, how you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, how are you doing today? I'll let you know. You know, after we see if the technology holds up and whatnot. But uh, that's yeah. very true. Yeah. Right. Um, Take two. Had a, <laughs> yeah, we've had a heck of a time uh, getting this thing started today, but uh, hopefully, we got it all figured out. But anyways, uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about Major League Baseball's latest uh, proposal to restart uh, the 2020 season. Uh, We're also going to, uh, you know, dive into a topic that Ty threw out on Twitter and we got uh, an incredible response to. And that would be the uh, unsung heroes, underrated Mariners, however you want to phrase it. But we're going to talk about those guys. And then Ty has a a fun little question that we're going to tackle at the end. And then depending on how long this thing goes, we might talk a little bit of NFL draft at the end um, because Ty says he has some takes um, about everything. So this will be uh, this could be a fun show. So, Ty, let's go ahead and let's let's actually dive into this plan here and hopefully we make it longer than we did the last recording. So here we go. Mm. The basic premise of the of this plan Uh, as reported by Bob Nightingale, is that there will be uh, three super divisions, so to speak, the Eastern Division, the Western Division, and the Central Division. All three divisions will have 10 teams. Um, All the games will be played at uh, these teams' ballparks, so there won't be any spring training stadiums in use or, you know, nothing like that. So the Mariners would, in fact, play at T-Mobile Field, for example. There would be no fans in the stands, at least early. Um, And the idea here is to really cut down on travel while also spreading out the the team so they're not all clustered in one area. Um, Games played would be limited to just those in your division. And that's about all we know right now. We also know that there's a lot of optimism among front offices in this plan as well as in you know the offices of Major League Baseball. This seems to be the most realistic plan. Um, and you know it's described as you know being the most optimistic plan. Uh, the idea here would be that teams could start playing each other by late June. So still about six weeks away at the earliest. Uh, but Ty, what, what do you think about this plan? Yeah, it's, uh, it's my favorite of all the plans um i don't like the fact that the mariners would have to play the dodgers and the astros a bunch uh that's not super thrilling but uh yeah um i think not having all these teams in one area you know all bunched together you know having to figure out roster expansions 
double headers, the what you know, the heat of Arizona, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was going to be just a massive headache to work through aside from, you know, ensuring um regularly available testing that doesn't take away from those who actually need it. Uh and that still is, you know, the main factor that's going to come into play here. Uh, for doing this and especially when there is going to be at least some travel involved um, I think the furthest the the Mariners would have to travel is to Arlington to play the Rangers right I mean I don't know if Houston or Arlington is further away but yeah Texas as far as they'd have to go right Um, yeah maybe actually I think it is Houston yeah Houston's further Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's a solid plan, though, to get every team inside their own stadium. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it gives you the ability to, let's say, if, you know, they, they were to start in Arizona and Florida, mm-hmm. et cetera, uh, that was going to be a little bit uh, tougher time to then transition to their, you know, regular home stadiums midseason if, you know, things were to reopen around that time. Um, so I think getting these guys in their own stadium to start, um, and, you know, again, not keeping all these players, you know, in one bubble and allowing these guys to be closer to families if they do live in the area that they play in. Um, I think those are positives that answer a few of the questions, you know, a few of the major questions that we had surrounding uh, the Arizona Florida plan. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, it's certainly a more team or a player friendly type of proposal here, um, and I'm guessing that's what it was aimed to do is to try and appease the players' association by allowing them to go home after you know after games. Um, it's you know it it's. It's the best plan, like you said, so far. Um, it is worth noting that the person who leaked this to Bob Nightingale did say that this is all pending um, widespread and affordable testing for everybody. Um, so it does sound like Major League Baseball, at least right now, is not willing to cross that line of you know preferential treatment for their players getting tested, um, which you know we've maintained since the very first plan came out, that has to be, you know, factor number one. Anything that doesn't include that is a non-starter. Um, but yeah, so uh, just, you know, a few uh, housekeeping notes on this. The Mariners division would include the American League West teams and the National League West teams, just slammed into one division. Um, most of these teams in these divisions play in either the American League counterpart or the National League counterpart. Um, there are a few exceptions. For example, the Atlanta Braves would not be in the East. They would actually play in the Central. Um, so that's just, you know, small little thing there. Um, no AL or NL rules. So DH for everybody, um, which is awesome. Uh, we don't know yet how the playoff structure would work. Um, although it is assumed that there would be a uh, extended playoff, um, you know, more playoff berths. Uh, so 
that's a possibility, I guess. Um, they also said that it's possible that they could have fans in the stands for the playoffs. Although, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, and we also don't know uh, roster limitations or lack thereof. Um, so we're still trying to figure out. There's still a lot to kind of flush out about this plan, but it is possible that uh, this one seems to have the most positives. Is that fair to say? Do you think? Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's the best plan they propose. Um, you know, it kind of says here that uh, they think that they can maybe squeeze a hundred games if they start by late June, early July, um, which, you know, would probably include pushing the season or the playoffs into mid November instead of very early November, which I think most people are fine with anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's the plan right now. Um, still a long way to go. Uh, and if this is the plan they ultimately go with, we're at least six weeks away from baseball. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, hey, it's it's optimistic, and I like it. And um, hopefully we can get something done. Um, and hopefully Major League Baseball continues their, their stance that they're not going to, um, you know, try and get preferential treatment for their players in terms of testing. So, um, yeah. all in all, I would say that's, that's, you know, a pretty positive report there. Um, and hopefully it happens. So, so, uh, Ty, why don't you go ahead and explain, uh, how you wrecked our Twitter page, uh, the other night (laughs) and uh, what we're going to talk about next. Yeah. So, um, as you know, with coronavirus and baseball being delayed and all this stuff, uh, it's been hard to figure out content ideas occasionally. So Mm -hmm. we've been, uh, we've been asking you guys some questions and I wanted to see, um the other night i wanted to figure out like outside of edgar and buner and felix and griffey etc um who are some of your favorite mariners because i feel like we highlight you know obviously the biggest names of the franchise all the time but there have been you know especially for a mariners organization that hasn't done a lot of winning so they've needed to provide entertainment and other avenues and they've had quite a cast of personalities and really solid players that you know weren't superstars but came through and were really good uh role players for them and so um i asked about those uh those kinds of players and who you really gravitated to and we got a lot of responses we got you know from um you know guys like mike cameron who I guess kind of counts. I mean, I, I feel like Mike Cameron's still one of those upper echelon Mariners. Uh, but you were looking for middle class. Yeah. Or like weird random players. Like we got Bucky Jacobson. Yeah. A couple I saw Buc- Bu- Bucky Jacobson replied to that too. Yeah. So we got at a radio station in town. Yeah. We got um, Tim Belcher. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we got, and that was from the uh, the voice of the Huskies. Who, oh, uh, really? Yeah. Uh, and then we got. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the weird ones that we got. Charles Gibson, it's another one. 
And uh, so we're we've decided that we're we're going to make a series about this in the uh, in the month of May, or well, I decided that we're going to do this and uh, and profile you know a lot of these guys because I think really you know when you think back on the history of the Mariners and you know the history of the drought specifically, if you look during that time, and we're also going to look at guys during the Golden Age of Mariners baseball, which is like the '95 season, the two you know 2001 season, et cetera. Basically, um, 95 through 2003. Yeah. So a little decade there. Yeah. And we're still going to look at guys like that. Like we got a lot of rich Amaral's got a yeah. lot of Joey Cora's, um, sure. Mike Blowers, you know, that, yeah. those okay. are some of the, yeah, those are some of the guys that we, we heard as well. Um, so we're going to look at all those guys, Mark McLemore. Love uh, McLemore. Yeah. Randy Wynn. Yep. That's, um, that's a great one. Yeah really good player uh, yeah so yeah we're going to look at a lot of those guys um but man i i it was just it was fun going down memory lane and getting reminded of some of these players like totally totally forgot about charles gibson like i told you before we started recording and uh he was a fun player uh Gib- gibby yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean steal base come out play some good defense i remember he made a couple really nice catches and uh yeah just kind of a solid you know role player i think he played for you know a couple years so yeah he was with Uh, the mariners for five seasons yeah so i mean i think you know you start talking about what's interesting about twitter is is that you know ty and i i don't know when you kind of clicked on consciousness about baseball for me it was about the year 2000 ish when i Uh was about uh nine or 10, somewhere in that range. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'm not as familiar with, you know, Mariners baseball from the, uh, you know, early nineties to the eighties and the early days and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, But, you know, some people on Twitter are like, um, you know, we had somebody, I'm looking at it right now, 177 responses. That easily has to be the most we've ever had on a topic. Yeah. Uh, This one just kind of took off. You know, we have one right here, Mark Langston. Yeah. Mark Langston. Langston was really good you know yeah it's kind of easy to forget because it was you know that mariners weren't doing much winning but that guy was awesome um in fact he got you randy johnson he was that good yep. um and we had that we even had things as recent as you know hasashi iwakuma mm-hmm. uh tom, tom wilhelmson charlie yep. furbush the bartender yep yep uh and then you know you go right back to some older richie zisk yep. julio cruz yep uh, you know, it, it just you kind of scroll down this list. Jamie Moyer, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name. Jack Perconte, I yeah. want to say. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, he was really good player. Um. Franklin Gutierrez, Kyle Seeger, Brendan Ryan, and Russell yeah. Brannion. That's yep. a good one. The Moose. Yep. I well, I I tweeted out that Russell Brannion was mine. Nice. And I believe yeah, we share good. that. Right, I think we've talked about this before. About Russell Brannion? Yeah, isn't it? Wouldn't yeah. he be your answer as well? I mean, he'd be one of them. I love Russell Brannion. Yeah. Uh, John Jaso, I would throw out there. Yeah, John Jaso. Short period. Uh, I really like Jaso. Um, of course, Sean Figgins. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Jesus. Uh, Richie Sexton. Uh, yeah. You know, people they only remember the end of Richie Sexton, which was really bad. But he had like two or three really good years for Seattle. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I think that's, yeah, you know, I'm seeing a lot of uh, Tom Wilhelmson, like you mentioned. Um, 
Russ Davis. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Tino Martinez, yeah. Uh, one name I haven't seen as much as I figured we would, uh, although I'm seeing it right now as I scroll through the, some of these. Willie Bloomquist. Yeah. Um, I think there's even a Ben Davis in there. A Ben Davis. Wow, that is that think, is a deep pull right there. Yeah, I think we got a Ben Davis pull in there. Yeah, I'm just seeing the uh, the Tim Belcher uh, tweet there. Henry Coto a couple times. Yeah. Brett Boone. A lot of Brett Boones. Yeah. Which I, I mean, mean, there's another. I I I guess he's like unsung. I don't know. Like Brett I Boone. remember him very fondly. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of. I I still think of him as a pretty relatively fan favorite. Yeah, um, he's like a top twenty Mariner, right? I mean. Probably. Yeah. I, I don't have the list in front of me and I can't like off the yeah. top of my head. He's probably that top third. He's definitely one of the top 20 offensive players. I mean, yeah. um, David Artsma. I like that one. The yep. DA. You yeah. Know, case closed. Um, <laughs> that's right, man. Yep. I was a big fan of that. Yep. Eric Bedard. Yep. You know, it's, it's funny. Bedard was actually good when he pitched for Seattle. Isn't that weird? Like, we remember yeah. him being such a terrible pitcher, but he was actually really good. Yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, unfortunately, he was only good for, like, 100 innings a year. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, man, the, Doug Strange. Yeah, I, there's yeah. so many answers to this. Um, somebody did write in Sean Figgins. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, man, there's a lot of good answers. Stan Javier. Um, you know, a lot of questions or a lot of good answers here. A lot of uh, Jay Buners, which I – don't think qualifies for this at all no. i think you specifically said not buner didn't yeah. you in the original tweet uh i may have missed buner like i think i i initially put him in and then i was like wait i'm forgetting Ichiro, and i'm gonna get eaten alive if i mention buner <laughs> and not Ichiro. <laughs> so right i mean kazuhiro sasaki yeah that's a good raul ibanez yeah i saw i saw jj puts i saw uh yeah. eddie gordano <laughs> yeah everyday eddie everyday yeah. eddie nice nice yeah, so this is a really fun little exercise here. I mean, it definitely takes me down memory lane for a few of these guys. Um, Alex Diaz from the yeah. 95 team. Yeah. Um, you know, Jim Presley. Basically Billy took over at center field when Griffey got hurt. Yep. Mm-hmm. Him and Amaral really uh, really yeah. did some work. Rafael Soriano. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kenji Jojima. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, this is really good, and it's, it's fun because, like I said, we got a pretty good mix of you know, I would say most of it are is you know from 2000 on, but there are quite a few players who played from in the 70s and 80s. And that's always fun to see because you know it's it's an era of Mariners baseball. I know I don't know enough about, um, you know, so it's always fun to kind of hear those stories from people who, uh, you know, watch that game or watch that those teams. Um, you know, last one I'll mention here, Joel Pinero. I love Joel Pinero. Um, you know, the Mariners almost traded him for Juan Gonzalez in 2000. <sighs> but, Oof. you know, ownership Oof. ownership was so cheap, they didn't want to pay $3 million to fix their left field situation. By the way, the Mariners... I'm surprised the we ALCS. didn't see... Go ahead. Yeah. I'm surprised we didn't get any love for Ryan Franklin. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I liked Ryan Franklin. Yeah. That's really good. 
It's a good pull right there. Uh, Gilmesh, maybe even. Gilmesh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Aaron Seeley. Yep, Aaron Seeley. Paul Abbott. Uh huh. Definitely not John Halama, though. Screw that guy. Um, <laughs> I still hold a grudge against John Halama. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, th- there's been some, you know, there's so many that we can't go through them all. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, if you guys still, you know, if you guys still want to throw somebody at us that we haven't talked about or mentioned, uh, feel free at, uh, Soto Mojo FS on Twitter. Um, or even if you want to use Facebook, that's fine too. Uh, you know, just find our page on Facebook, just search Soto Mojo. You'll find it. Leave us a comment. So, um, Let's let's kind of jump over to your uh, your topic here, Ty, that you wanted to discuss here. Why don't you go ahead and explain uh, what you and I are going to attempt to do? Yeah. Um, here, so why don't you go ahead? So, uh, you know, looking back on all these players and everything, kind of kind of sparked another idea uh, that uh, you know I started thinking, you know, because I started reaching back for all these Mariners that I. I uh, from when I was watching, you know, growing up watching, which was like, you know, early 2000s. Uh, and uh, I was thinking about like, you know, a player that I thought fondly of, but was actually not really good. Sure. And and like, for me, that guy was uh, John Mabry. <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't know why, but for some reason I thought back on John Mabry and thought that he was like, not good, but like a, a serviceable player. And he I was mean, like kind of that, but really made his mark like when he was when he got traded to Oakland in the in what two thousand two from uh from yeah. Philly. Philly. It's kinda yeah. like I remember that's kinda like his high point in his career. I kinda re- remember Mabry just being like a pretty good pinch hitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's I never really thought of him as anything more than a, a bench guy. So that's that's kind of an interesting poll there. Um you know, for me, I, I talked about this before the before we started recording. Uh, one of those guys for me is Jose Vidro, yeah. who I don't know if you guys remember, was actually the DH um, for a couple of years. Um, and in 2007, he was actually quite good. He hit 314, 381, 394, which is a 111 WRC+. Plus, and he had a uh, 0.1, uh, sorry, 1.0 F4. Um Unfortunately, 20, 2008 happened, and he was worth negative 1.2 war. So he, he did finish his career as a uh, negative war Mariner. But, uh, yeah, that was just kind of one of those guys that just randomly, like, yeah, I, I like uh, I like Jose Vidro. And yeah, turns out <laughs> not very good, not very good, um, or at least not the second time around. Um. Another guy that I would kind of throw out there, um, uh, who, you know, he was actually probably too good to qualify for this list, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on Jared Washburn. Ooh, I love me some Jared Washburn. Fun fact, Jared Washburn started the last game I've ever seen at Safeco. It was uh, 2007 against the Twins. Yeah, Yeah, that's the last game that I ever saw at Safeco. Um, Wow. Yeah, Tory Hunter hit a grand slam in that game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, Washburn was actually pretty <laughs> yeah. good for the Mariners. No, 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 he for... was really good. Um, 
Let me pull up. Yeah, let me pull up his numbers. I feel like towards the latter half of his time with with the Mariners, he was better. Um, uh, kind of the opposite, actually. You know, he was pretty consistently mediocre. When you look, I'm looking. Two thousand nine right was now. a pretty. Two thousand nine was a pretty good year for him, and then he well, gets traded to Detroit. Yeah, I think they got. Um, that's the trade they got Charlie Furbush in, I think. Yeah. Um. No, 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 no. That's the Doug Fister trade. Doug Fister, okay. All right. That's another Um, name, Doug Fister. (laughs) Yeah, Doug Fister, man. Yeah, I really like watching Doug Fister pitch. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good callback right there. Doug Fister, man. Um, Maybe Jason Vargas. Yeah. We're we're sticking in the, the, you know, number four type of starters. Um, Yeah, Doug Fister, man. He... uh, I honestly, Doug Fister only made, uh, he only made it two and a half years with the Mariners. That just seems off to me. But man, was he so good in 2011? Have you seen this? He had a 5.4 WAR in 2011. <sighs> Jesus. Doug yeah, Fister dude, had. Wasn't that the year that he? Uh, wasn't that the year that he threw like, how many strikeouts was it in a row? Ten, eleven. I don't. Not off the top of my head, I don't know. Um, but he had a four-year stretch beginning in 2010 with the Mariners and ending in 2013 with the Tigers where he posted F4s of 3.3, 5.4, 3.5, 4.1. I mean, Jeez. yeah, Doug Fister was really good for a minute there. Uh, yeah. And I, I do remember really enjoy watching him pitch. So, yeah, Doug Fister, that's a good one. Um, yeah, he threw, he struck out nine consecutive batters in a game against the Royals in September 2012. That's insane. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> There's, I, I saw this stat the other day and it blew my mind and it kind of fits in with what we're talking about here. Maybe the inverse, but do you want to guess like, I mean, no, it just, it's too hard for you to guess, but the player the top 10 Mariners in terms of games played with the organization and played appearances and things like that. Like the first nine, you're like, yeah, you know, we're talking Ichiro, Edgar, Griffey, Buner, you right. know, we're talking about those type Seeger, those type of guys, just the guys that you would guess, but coming in at number 10 on that list, believe it or uh-huh. not, Jose Lopez. Wow. Former second base slash third you know- baseman for the Seattle Mariners. You know what's funny? If you had me guess, I was going to guess Unieski Benacourt. Yeah, kind of his partner in crime. <laughs> yeah. But no, Lopez was here, I think, for seven years, um, which seems insane. Let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. At least seven years. I don't know if he got traded in 2011, if he was with the Mariners or not. But yeah, he was seven years with the Mariners. He played in 149 games or more five times for the Seattle Mariners. Um, he was okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Defensively yeah, was, pretty, yeah. pretty solid. Which is funny. Cause I never think of Jose Lopez as a good defensive second baseman. I always think of him as a power hitting second baseman. Uh, but yeah, you know, you mentioned Unieski Betancourt. That's another good poll for this. I remember, you know, thinking uni was going to be a really good player for Seattle. Yeah. And whoops. <laughs> 
The double play tandem of the future was not long lived. Yeah. Surpri- I'm a little surprised nobody mentioned Ryan Roland Smith, to be honest. Um, he's pretty solid. You know, Arthur Rhodes. That should be a guy who was on the, uh, yep. the previous list. Uh, oh, I, I remember like, like Jose Vidro was the first guy to pop into my head. The actual answer should have been Brandon Morrow. Yeah. I love Brandon Morrow. Um, it was, you know, he's still pitching pretty well. Uh, but I remember one of my fondest memories is I think it was 2009. I want to say it could have been 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, but Morrow is coming out of the bullpen uh, against the New York Yankees and there's runners on second and third with two outs. And the Mariners are clinging to a one run lead. I think it's the eighth inning. Um, and in it comes Brandon Morrow and he walks Derek Jeter on four pitches and Alex Rodriguez strolls mm-hmm. to the plate and Morrow throws him <laughs> two fastballs on the outside corner, just perfectly located at like 98 miles an hour. And then he buzzes the tower against a rod flips him up, up and down, uh, up and in uh, with a 98-mile-an-hour heater and then strikes him out on the next pitch. It was one of my favorite memories. I love that, like, <laughs> you know, here's my fastball, see if you can put it in play, bitch, type of attitude. And A-Rod yeah. could not that day. And that's it's one of my favorite memories. So, yeah, I always remember expecting th- big things from Brandon Morrow. Um, and, you know, he turned into a pretty good pitcher after he left Seattle. He was okay with Seattle. I don't want to say, you know, he wasn't mm-hmm. a disaster, but – you know, it is what it is. I I still really like Brandon Morrow uh, because of that. So that would probably be my answer to your question. Yeah. Brandon Morrow. Let's throw out one one more guy out there, Kevin Millwood. Not for like my uh, not for the first <laughs> topic or not for the uh, the the guys that weren't good topic, but just for like unsung Mariners. Dude threw 161 innings in 2012. He really got and, to, wow. I didn't. I thought he was, was like 80 innings or so. No, and he was a two and a half win pitcher for this team. Wow! And a part of the uh, the combined no hitter against the Dodgers. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, what is the? Uh, by the way, another name I would throw onto that list: Leonis Martin. Um, yep. I I love Leonis. Oh, just so for the just for the walk off against the Athletics alone, that <laughs> is one of my favorite moments watching Mariners baseball. Yeah, the guy threw him three changeups in a row. He went yaya, and then he went crazy. Yep. <laughs> the bat yeah, just hit, bat yeah. Work. His 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 reaction was like, like, and that's when they were playing so well, and you were just thinking that was man, 2016, this... man. That was when yeah. Adam Lind was hitting walk off home runs every other day. Yep, yep. Yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah. Was... Like he hit one against the White Sox, and then like the next week he hit one against the Cardinals or vice versa. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, no, he went up and he like tomahawked a ball at his eyeballs out of the ballpark yeah. against the White Sox. Yeah. I think it was Dave Robertson was pitching and he threw a cutter at like his eyes and he just he just went up and just boom, laced it for a walk off. That was that was a fun team. I remember that twenty sixteen team, there were so many walk offs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember he hit one. I he hit a couple Leonis of hit two. Hit one. Yep, Leonis hit two. Dejo Lee hit one against Texas yep. off of Jake Beekman. Um that 2016, dude. That 2016 team was awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It really was. Um, got to the final day. They needed Texas to. I know that was 2014. That was 2014. No, they uh, they lost to. They were chasing Toronto, I believe. Um, for the last wild card, they, and they finished they, a game back. I think. 
right? Yeah, they needed to sweep Oakland, and then they lost the second game to Oakland in a back and forth. Remember? Ah, uh, yes, that was Nelson Cruz I was at like that hit game. the yeah Nelson Cruz yes. hits that home run to deep center, the three tie. run home run to tie tie it, and then yeah, yeah, I think it was like nine to eight they lost or something like that. Yeah, I remember that they. Uh, I think it went into extras, and I remember one of my vivid memories from that. I was sitting in the third third deck behind home plate. It was the first right. time I ever sat up there. By yeah. the way, fantastic seats. If you're looking for value, go up to the third level. There's some really good views up there. But yeah, I was sitting up there watching the game. My my mom and I went over uh-huh. because this was like, I mean, they were one game back. They needed this win, and it was so exciting. Uh, and we, you know, we got caught up in it, so we went to that game. And like I, said, I remember Nelson Cruz hitting the home run. Um, Seattle made this pretty significant comeback. And then I remember they were down once again in like the seventh or eighth inning. Mm-hmm. And a rookie named Ben Gamble strolled to the plate yeah. and hit it, a game-tying double yeah. down the right field line. And that stadium, like, oh, my God. It, I felt like you could feel it shaking. It was so cool. It was the closest thing to Mariners uh, to playoff baseball that I've experienced, um, you know, at Safeco field. Uh, it was so awesome. Unfortunately they lost that game, but this yeah. is one of my favorite games. That was 2016. I always get 2014 and 2016 mixed up. 2014 well, it was is such similar, similar situations. Right. Right. 2014 is they went into the final game against the angels and they needed Texas to beat Oakland. I think it yeah, was to force a game yeah. 163. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we had gone over for game 162 that day. We bought tickets the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, Felix is on the mound, and I remember he, you know, once a, once Oakland won and they were eliminated, they took Felix out after five and right. a third. He was really good that day. Um, I remember the ovation that he got and all that. It was a really cool experience to be a part. Just kind of, you know, say thank you to that team because that was a really fun team. Um, so that that's another really positive memory. Although – it is possible that Lloyd McClendon taking Felix out of that game after only five and a third cost him the Cy Young award, but, uh, maybe, you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, no, I, uh, I just, yeah, I remember those, by the way, Ben Gamble yeah, deserves to be on that list. <laughs> game one sixty one, game one sixty one. That was, I, I can't imagine being at that game, the, yeah, uh, you know, that, cause like you Austin see Jackson's lunch. Well, so so you know they're down one nothing, right? C.J. Wilson yep. is just throwing an absolute gem against them, and then that you know the score comes across the board. I think it was like in the fifth inning that Texas beat Oakland, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh shit, we're alive. And then there's <laughs> and uh, Logan Morrison hits that double. That's right, baby. Yeah. Lomo. Oh. I I think that wasn't that like Seager who scored all the way from first too. Like I think it was Brad Miller. I want to say it, okay. I yeah, want to say that was Brad Miller, but I might be wrong. This seems much more likely it was Brad <laughs> Miller. I remember that, and then the game went into the tenth uh, or the eleventh, yep. and then Austin Jackson hit a the only significant thing Austin Jackson ever did for the Mariners. <laughs> he had a really slow roller to the second baseman, and they tried to turn two on it. And he lunges for first base, and he beats the throw by like half a step. Yeah, they were um, they were about to choke it again. I think that they had the runner on third with no outs. Yeah, and they were choking it, and it was and he hits like grounder, and you're like, ah, oh, god, they did it again. Never seen Austin Jackson run so fast in my life. Yeah, and <laughs> God, he beats that out, and uh... yep, it was a really bad decision by the second the second baseman tried to like underhand flip it. 
Yeah. Instead of like pivot and throw, even though he was like halfway between first and second. Um, so yeah, that little delay there, but yeah, I remember watching that game. I think I almost fractured my hand cause I was watching it and I clapped so hard, <laughs> uh, at, at the double, like it was stinging for like three or four days. Uh, Jeez. That, there's some bit, there's been some fun teams. Let's, you know, I would, there haven't been any great teams during this playoff drought, but there's certainly been some fun ones. Yeah. And that 2014 and 2016 team, those two teams, they certainly qualify. Those were a lot of funs, a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, it is what it is. But anyways, uh, like we mentioned guys, if you want to go ahead and send us, maybe you have a, a memorable moment, um, from the playoff drought, um, that you want to send us or a game that you went to that was really cool or a player that you felt like was underappreciated or maybe just a player that you like more than anybody else. Uh, or you think you did. Uh, yeah, just let us know. Like I said, on Twitter at Soto Mojo FS, you could also uh, let us know on Facebook. Um, you know, we're, we're always interested to hear those stories, especially now while we're kind of just waiting for baseball to happen. So feel free to send us those stories. I, I really enjoy, you know, the walk down memory lane. Um, you know, if you were at the one of my favorites, the Ken Griffey Jr. weekend against the Angels and Sean O'Malley stole the show. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you were at that game, let me know, man. That was fun. O'Malley hits the go-ahead home run, then he makes an amazing play at short. And on Ken Griffey Jr. weekend, the utility man from tri- the Tri-Cities is getting his name chanted by a sellout crowd at uh, <laughs> at then Safeco Field. That was incredible. So, uh if you have anything Sean like that, O'Malley. let me know, guys. <laughs> yes. I love, man, that was one of my favorite games I've been to. So I've been yeah. pretty fortunate. I've been to a lot of good games despite not having, you know. Although, to be fair, I was I was at the very last playoff game that was played at uh, Safeco Field. My parents got me yeah. tickets as a early birthday gift, and they were playing the Yankees. But I was 10. Wait, so, is that the earring mean, game? No, that was against the the earring game was against the uh, Indians. Was that against the Indians? Oh my god! Yeah, I've always Vizquel. I've always remembered that it was against the Yankees in my head. No, it was Omar Vizquel. Oh Jesus, you're right. Oh my god! Yeah. For so long, I've always thought that was against the Yankees and the ALCS. Nope, nope. it was beef between Omar Vizquel and uh, Arthur Rhodes. Uh, so. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, I was I was at the I was not at the earring game, but I was at the the last game to be played at Safeco, last playoff game. Right, um, dude. Yeah. Wow. You know, at ten, I I can't even remember if it was one of the games they won. Yeah. I, I doubt it. Uh, see, because, I was yeah. see, I was five during yeah. those games. So like, that's how you know my memory my memory works. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, right. yeah, jeez, wow, yeah, we should go down memory lane more often. <laughs> this was fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, the longer this lockout takes, the more we're gonna have to. So, yeah. But yeah, anyways, yeah, stroll down memory lane is fun sometimes. Um, but anyways, it looks like we do have a couple minutes left here. Uh, so guys, here's your official warning: if you don't care about the NFL or the NFL draft, stop listening right now. And if that's you and you're about to sign off, why don't you go ahead and do us a favor. Follow us on follow us on Twitter at SotoMojoFS. Like us on Facebook. Please visit SotoMojo.com where we talk all things Seattle Mariners, exclusively Seattle Mariners. Uh, and it would be a big help if you guys could go to the website and 
read a couple of articles. It would really help us out. And uh, if you like what you read, maybe go ahead and share one on one of your social media uh, outlets. That would really help us out a lot. Uh, obviously, you know, it's been a uh, difficult time for a lot of people in this coronavirus, and uh, we are no exception. We, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're struggling a little bit for content and whatever. Anything you guys can do would help us out greatly. So if that's you and you're signing off right now, Thank you so much for listening to the Soto Mojo podcast. But if you're willing to stick around for Ty and I to talk, you know, 15 minutes of the NFL draft where I was promised takes, yep. quote unquote, by Ty yep. Gonzalez, yep. Um, then we're going to start that right now. So if you're leaving us, adios. If not, let's get to it. So Ty, uh, Seattle Seahawks made eight selections, mm. um, including a few uh, – they address quite a few positions that we thought were strengths already. So why don't we, uh, let's not bury the lead here. You said you had takes. Why don't you go ahead and give me your takes? All right. So first off, why, why are all these teams trying to find their own Taysom Hill? Stop. <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. It's, 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 there's only one Taysom Hill. You might find a gadget player, but look, this has failed so many times. You know, the most recent one that comes to mind is Keenan Reynolds. That guy mm-hmm. played quarterback and wide receiver and running back and all those things in Navy, right? Baltimore Ravens draft him. Doesn't do anything. He goes to, uh, to the Seahawks is strictly a wide receiver. Uh, you know, probably I think he was active for like two games with the Seahawks. And then, you know, he's in the XFL and, you know, now that doesn't exist. You know, you you see all this talk now about Lynn Bowden and, and Jalen Hurts and even DJ Dallas, who the Seahawks took, you know, about talking about, oh, well, he played wide receiver and he played quarterback. So therefore, he's probably the next Taysom Hill. No, stop, stop fishing for the next Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is is a fun player but i don't uh, you don't need that on your team it's no. fun i mean i would i would like to have Taysom hill but i don't need to recreate well, Taysom hill hold on would you actually like the seahawks to snap the football to anybody other than russell wilson uh i think like having a direct For snap me, to a having a direct snap to a power runner i'm okay with like running a quarterback yeah. power, you can't run that with Russell. Why would you want to run it with any quarterback worth anything? So yeah. you can take an unnecessary hit. I don't want to. I don't want to taste some hill. The only person I want taking snaps for the Seattle Seahawks is Russell Wilson. Period. Right. So, I guess maybe if you have a shitty quarterback, then I guess maybe you can go ahead and do that. But I mean, but they have they have Drew Brees, and Drew Brees is pretty good. They still use yeah, I know. Hill. But I mean, and, you know, that's two different skill sets. You know, obviously Drew can't do any running uh, whatsoever. Not 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 compared to Russell, certainly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't run options and stuff like that with Drew Brees. Uh, let's be honest, too. Russell Wilson is also in his prime. Drew yeah. Brees, while still very good, is certainly out of his prime. So, right. let's you know, that's a pretty big difference there. So yeah, so I'm 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 tired of the Taysom Hill comparisons. It's literally Agreed. all I've heard with some of these players. It's just, I think, you know, Lynn Bowden for a team, you know, for the right for the Raiders, is a is a wide receiver. I don't mm-hmm. think, and he doesn't need to be anything other than that. You know, nope. and I think he can be a pretty darn good one too. And he doesn't need to like you don't need to force that Taysom Hill thing upon him. 
same thing for DJ Dallas if that's kind of the idea that that the Seahawks have with him. Just don't force that. Don't, stop stop trying to turn players that have unique skill sets into a specific mold, right? Of a you know, you see a player on TV and you're like, well, that this guy can also you know had played quarterback in high school and you know he played a little bit of running back. So right. therefore he can be Taysom Hill. It's like, no, like, especially like some of these guys, like they don't have the physical profile of Taysom Hill. Right. Like Jalen hurts and Taysom Hill are very two different athletes. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that. I hated that second take. And this isn't really a hot take uh, because a lot of people have shared this opinion, but I actually really liked how the draft was done this year on TV. I think mm-hmm. the, the Roger Goodell stuff was hilarious. Uh, yeah. I think him uh, basically screwing up every name and every card read that he had was inter- entertainment at its finest. As you know, the draft goes along and he just slowly looks more and more disheveled. Is yeah, it was almost like an Adult Swim production. <laughs> did now answer this honestly? Did this draft weekend make you look more favorably upon the commissioner? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think, think he came across as a better, uh, you know, a better person than we sometimes think he is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think more he, human, uh, at least I think he's just kind of a goof. Yeah. I, you know, and that's just, I mean, you always like, have to remember that he's literally a shill for ownership. Yeah. Like everything he does, ownership tells him to do. So it's like, yeah, like I understand the booing him and all that stuff. Uh, one thing I didn't need is I didn't need hype man Roger Goodell because he's not good at it. Uh, like you c- don't need to come tell on, people. fans. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Roger, are those just read are the those name. even live videos? I like, think so, but I God, I but like, what if what if someone like did something? Like they <laughs> like, traded up, like their no, team no, no. traded up, and all of a sudden their webcam's on or something. No, 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 no. no. More like they're on webcam, right? You know, and then right. like you know, someone uh, you know, does Moves something a little the webcam. Some yeah, they do a little something offensive on the webcam, right? Well, I mean, I've, I want to know if those were pre because like Guy Fieri showed up, yeah, <laughs> for like the Raiders, I think. Yeah, probably. Like, I just I don't know if they were pre-recorded or not, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, aside from the hype man Roger Goodell, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really well done. Like, Roger now ESPN, the, like ESPN, like every single player gets drafted, and it's like, here's their sad, depressing backstory. Like, right. oh my god, there was just too much of that, and like, I, I felt like at first I was when I was complaining about it that I was just being kind of an asshole about it, but then like I saw more and more people complaining about it on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's too much, right? Like, like I think I saw like one player got drafted, and when they were showing like a get to know him more page, I think it was T Higgins actually, and it was like uh, at the end of the page, like it's like, oh, he was you know recruited at whatever and blah 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 blah, and then like at the end, like the last footnote is like, mom battled drug addiction for 16 years. It's like, yeah. You don't need to share that. Yeah, like that's like like plus like in a virtual draft, 
you know, typically they, you know, for, for some of these guys, you know, they're in the green room, they're not watching the broadcast or, you know, at least not when they're, you know, drafted. Right. You know, so, and when they talk about those things, you know, and highlight those things, it's not something that they witness. Right. But this is a virtual right. draft where they're literally right in front of their TVs the entire time, probably on full blast. And then it's right. like, oh, I'm having the happiest moment of my life. And ESPN, you know, Trey Wingo is talking about like, well, the, you know, the, his his mom was shot in front of him or something, you know, like. Right. I, I think, you know, part of those stories is, you know, it introduces the human element because we think of athletes as more than human a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand why they do it, but I do think there are certain um, things that they should lead to local media. There's a time uh, and place, you know, there's a time and place. And that, right. when, when I, you I just, have the person watching it, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they got okay to share that or sure. like it was public knowledge um, because otherwise that would be a massive lawsuit and right. Disney's not going to allow for that. But yeah, no, it just felt like, you know, there was a lot of, like, if you want to mention it as like an interesting fact, that's fine. But it felt like there was a lot of like, oh, by the way, this happened. And then they would focus on that more so than the player. uh, Yeah, I felt like we saw more like, you know, background on, you know, their, their, you know, whatever, you know, some horrific event in their life. We got more of that than tape. Yeah. And opinions from, you know, the not very smart people on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, like, I had more of an issue with the the group that they were working with. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I would... had like eight eight people trying to comment on one pick. And it's like, how about you just stick with like the three or four? Yes, I would love to hear other... Booger McFarlane's <laughs> right. thoughts on, like... on the Seahawks pick of Jordan Brooks. I guess. Yeah, a guy who he's never seen. Like, yeah, I, I don't. How about you bring him in like every 10 picks and just kind of like, hey, so what do you think about this group? Um, instead of like, oh, my God, we have to get to Mel Kuyper and then we have to get to, you know, a Lewis Riddick and then we have to get to Booger McFarland and then we're going to go to, you know, Chris Carter. Like, who cares? Like, Jesus Christ. I don't to be honest. I, You know what this draft really needed? It needed Todd McShay, who unfortunately as COVID-19, so he was not able to participate. But Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper with Trey Wingo, that's really all you need for these yeah. things. Because just those two guys arguing and then Trey kind of moderating. And then you kind of bring in the other guys as you know secondary guests or segments, but not – I don't need eight guys trying to tell me about Jordan Brooks when six of them have never seen him before. Like, right. who cares? But anyways. So let's talk about got? this. Yeah, let's talk about the Seahawks draft now. Sure. I, if you if you follow the Soto account, you know that I was yeah very was conf- all tied, by the way. I was very confused by some of the decisions made. Right. Mm-hmm. I was also more so upset with the circumstances that they were not able to trade back. You know, the Packers pulled yeah. out of the deal and. You know, when they traded up in the second round for Daryl Taylor, you know, losing that third round pick, you know, the which is a glorified fourth round pick. But still, you know, it's a it's a day two pick. And losing that kind of sucked and that left a bad taste in my mouth. And I didn't like the draft at all for about two days. 
like heading into day three, I was pretty sour. Even though that, you know, I like Jordan Brooks as a player and I like Daryl Taylor as a player and I like Damian Lewis as a player, I still felt like I, I, I guess the biggest mistake that I felt at the time that they made was not getting one of the top receivers in this class because of just how deep it was. That was kind of where my saltiness began. Um, and I thought that they could have done that with that extra third, but I got over it. You know, I thought about this draft a little bit more. You know, I've actually watched tape. I've watched these breakdowns. Samuel Gold did a really good breakdown on Jordan Brooks and his pass coverage mm-hmm. ability and uh, and the uh, misconceptions that are that are made about his pass coverage ability. Uh, and uh, yeah, thinking about this class now, it fits what they want to do. This feels like a, I don't like the last few draft classes just haven't felt sea hockey, if that makes sense. Like it just didn't feel like they got players that are that have an edge to them, you know. Aside from like a couple guys, right? You know, Frank Clark is one of those guys. DK Metcalf is one of those guys. But a lot of these players that they drafted just really didn't feel like they had this edge to them. And God, Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor. Those are some mean people. They just look mm-hmm. mean. On the football field, of course. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about their actual character off the field. But they look like they're, they're like they look like they're already in that mindset of we're going to go out there and F you up. Right. And uh, I don't think that the Seahawks have drafted guys like that in a while, you know, like from the majority, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And, and then you think about, you know, some of the other picks that they made Colby Parkinson, six, seven has fantastic hands. You get that size that you lost with Jimmy Graham, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not saying that Colby Parkinson is anything like Jimmy Graham, but you get that size for red zone threat and you, you know, you put, uh, you take into uh, account uh, the spectacular hands that he has probably the best hands of, of all the tight ends in that draft and having, you know, and giving Russell that weapon plus, you know, you got, Disley, who's had two significant injuries to start his career. Uh, Greg Olson's on a one-year deal and is older. This is probably his last year in the NFL, if we're being honest. He's probably going to go to Fox and do broadcasting after the season. Luke Wilson is on a one-year deal. Jacob Hollister on a one-year deal. You didn't really have any long-term solutions. I think Tyrone Tyrone Swoops is uh, is still on the roster, but I mean that's been like a three-year project now and that hasn't really amounted to much. So, you know, you needed a, you know, a long-term fit there at tight end and you needed a, a pass catching tight end, like it's strictly a pass catching tight end because elite, pretty much every elite offense has one of those. You know, you think about Baltimore and Mark Andrews, you think about Kansas city and, and Travis Kelsey and, I don't think that Colby Parkinson is really that game-breaking type of tight end. But I think he's going to get you. He's going to win you a few jump balls in the red zone. 
I think having that mm-hmm. additional weapon along with a Will Disley, along with a DK Metcalf, yeah, because who are they going to double on the outside? If you're if you're throwing if you line up Colby Parkinson on one side and you line up DK Metcalf on the other side, I mean, you know, one of those guys is going to win you a jump ball, I think. Right. And so, you know, I I think that you know, and then you think about someone like DJ Dallas who can. Who can do a few things, and again, I'm not saying that he's Taysom Hill or anything, but you know, maybe he can be a, a nice little, you know, complimentary back to to Chris Carson, uh, you know, especially while Penny is out. You know, because I I think I think Dallas is the one guy that's probably going to get a lot of playing time right away, just because of Penny being out, you know, likely being out for the first half of the season, and of course, you know, there's coronavirus and all that and we we don't know when the season is actually going to start so penny's injury you know he might be able to return whenever the season does actually start but um you know i think they got a lot of value on on day three you know i think you know alton robinson is a guy that you and i both really liked Mm -hmm. coming out of syracuse and you know we look at him as i think you compared him to chris clemens last week yeah, I think he's got that potential. Um, yeah. I I think it would take quite a few years for him to get there. But yeah. I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking for what he can do in 2020, um, I think it's totally fair to expect that Jacob Martin-like yeah. role, you know, from 2018, where Martin only got like three or four sacks, but he got continually better every single week to the point where he was a solid rotational pass rusher who was getting a lot of pressures and helping other guys get sacks. I think that's a totally fair expectation for Alton Robinson. And if that's what you get from a fifth round pick as a rookie, then that's a home run of a pick. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm a big fan of that one. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at, um, I think Freddie Swain is pretty interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of Golden Tate there. I think he's like lanky Golden Tate kind of. Like he just kind of like you know how like Golden Tate when he runs, he looks kind of like a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> like Freddie yep. Swain kind of has that penguin to him. You know? Uh sure. So when so when I watch him, he just looks like a lanky Golden Tate to me. Uh <laughs> um, you know, and then, you know, undrafted free agents. Well, and also, you know, they 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 go in and they they trade back into the draft to get Stefan Sullivan and he's kind of an interesting project. Um did you see his uh his reaction to when John Schneider called him? Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um but yeah, and then like you go into the undrafted free agents, you know, you look at um uh Anthony Gordon, mm-hmm. you know, out of Wazoo, you know, just just threw all those touchdowns. You know, he he's got He's got some pretty, uh, he's got some pretty good stuff to him, and uh, he'll, you know, the the thing, that, the problem that the Seahawks have had lately is that, you know, and this is like just a, a a me problem, right? Is that the preseason games haven't been fun to watch after the backups come in, which it used to be you really mean you don't entertaining. Like watching Geno Smith? Uh no. <laughs> oh. Or or Jake Keeps the minority there. Or Jake Keeps. As much as I love Jake Keeps on at seven ten, wasn't fun watching him play. <laughs> um, or Austin Davis. 
Yeah, oh god. Yeah. So yeah, there's been some uh some stinkers lately in terms of uh watching the second half of preseason games, and I think Anthony Gordon's gonna end that. I think he's gonna make uh watching these Seahawk preseason games pretty fun. Right. Uh, uh, I actually I compared him to uh Matt Hasselback. Uh, I like it. Yeah, just kind of, you know, creative, average-ish arm, more accurate than, you know, than powerful. Just makes pretty good decisions. He can move around a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Then, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, Aaron you know, Fuller is another U- UDFA yep. out of UW. And mm-hmm. I think like he I think he and Freddie Swain are kind of competing against one another. You know, you probably throw John Ursula into that group as well. Um, right. So that should be pretty interesting. I think Aaron Fuller, you know, really solid hands, made all those acrobatic catches at, at UW. Um, yep. Really good on the fade route. Yeah. I think that's going to be something that um, Seahawks are really going to like and Russell Wilson is going to really like. So, sure. uh, and he usually gravitates to, you know, one or two of those lower end receivers, right? Like, you know, last year he kind of, he really gravitated towards John Ursula um, in training I camp. Mean, yeah, he only had one catch in the regular season. Yeah, no, I wasn't uh, talking about it in the regular season, but I'm talking about. No, I think yeah. Ursula is definitely the, like, I don't really think Ursula is competing for a roster spot, to be quite honest. I think he's, you know, pretty much a lock. Probably. Yeah. Um, they kept him all last year. Um, never exposed him to waivers to try to get him on the practice squad. They clearly like him. And now the NFL is bumping up their rosters to 55. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can carry yeah. that. That extra yeah, I think they're definitely. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to go seven receivers, you know, probably extra edge player there. You know, uh, Alton Robinson Maybe might a, be your red right. shirt guy this year if you want to look at I him mean, like that. Yeah. It's possible they also carry three quarterbacks for the first time in a while. Sure. Um, that way you can keep Anthony Gordon, but then if you want, like, say, Geno Smith, because you just want that veteran um, in the room, then you can do that without costing, the, you know, somebody else their job. So, right. Um, yeah, I guess it's... And then have you seen this cornerback, Gavin uh, Heslop? No. He's, uh, he's one of the UDFAs that they, they signed, and he's really good special teamer i think he actually might have a chance to like i think he might be in a competition with nico thorpe yeah so i think that uh that's pretty interesting so i think they might actually have at least one udfa make the team this year you know typically they they have one but they they didn't have one make the team last year right brian monet came after the season started yeah um i can't think of anybody um as a rookie undrafted free agent who made the team last year. I mean, you know, certainly Puna Ford is a UDFA, but he was in his second year. So um, other than that, I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, you know, overall the draft is, uh, is a pretty solid return for Seattle. They got a, a bunch of good players. I think you also have to remember that they traded a third round pick from this year's draft to acquire Jadavion Clowney last year. Yep. They traded a fifth round pick from this year's draft to acquire uh, Quandre Diggs last year. And they traded a fifth round pick from this year's draft to acquire Quentin Dunbar 
Um, So right now you have to factor those three players into this draft class. Uh, And really you have to factor in John or Sua too, because the reason that Seattle didn't have a, uh, a sixth round pick this year, their original sixth round pick is because they traded it to Jacksonville last year to draft John or Sua. So, um, you know, in a, in a very real way, this is more of a 12 person draft um, or at the very least 11, if you count the big three uh, veterans they brought in. Um, and regardless of whether or not Clowney ever plays another snap for the Seahawks, that still factors into this draft class and you still got extraordinary value, even if it is only for one year out of a third round pick. And obviously, you know, you're going to have uh, Diggs. I think he's a free agent after next season. Could be after this season. I can't quite remember. I think it's after this season. All right. So, I mean, it's, you still got a year and a half out of him uh, minimum. And then you got at least a year out of Quentin Dunbar for a couple of fifth-round picks. Um, so, yeah, Seattle did a really nice job of trading, you know, lower picks for, um, you know, really good veteran players, even if they are short-term fixes. But, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I like the draft. They got bigger, faster, stronger meaner um you know and i think a big lot a big reason why a lot of people seem to dislike this draft no matter what uh no matter what the seahawks would have done is that they took a linebacker in round one and he was a middle linebacker his last year of college so people think that he's a bobby wagner hedge he is but he's also played the first three years of his college career as an outside linebacker which is where he's going to play for seattle early um, and by the way, if Seattle had taken uh, Daryl Taylor in the first round and they had traded up to get Jordan Brooks in the second round, nobody would care. It's because linebacker at, in the first round is shocking, whereas if they had gone edge in the first round, people maybe would have been like, oh, I would have preferred Gross Matos or Epinesa or whatever. Um, but they drafted edge in the first round, so they must like him more than those other two guys, so it's fine. So it's just a matter of, you know, perspective, really. It's, it's Was li- outside linebacker a need? Yeah. Was it super high on the priority list for most of us? No. Was it high on the priority list for Seattle? Yeah. And so who cares if they got that need in the first round or the second round or the third round? They checked it off, and it didn't stop them from checking off needs at uh, running back or at defensive end or even offensive line. Um, and, you know, the – the uh, Lewis pick in the third round. That was a head scratcher with all the guards that they had. But then after the draft, they released DJ Fluker, um, which pretty clear indicator that Lewis is going to be the starter at right guard this year. So, um, you know, they got, they got better certainly. And uh, you know, the seasons or the off season's not over yet. I still expect them to sign a couple of uh, veteran defensive players, probably a defensive tackle, maybe somebody like Snacks Harrison or Mike Daniels. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Jadavion Clowney's still still out there. Um, I would still say it's unlikely in this stage, but not impossible. You also have guys like Everson Griffin and Marcus Golden and Clay Matthews who can all kind of rush the passer as well. So I expect them to add a couple of guys, maybe a, maybe a veteran nickel corner. Um, but overall, I, thought, I actually really like what they did in the draft. Um I'd give them like a solid B plus, um, you know, and that's why I think it's important to uh, wait because certainly, you know, I 
I'm human. I'm going to have my initial reaction to every pick, but I really wanted to, so, you know, I share my initial reaction, but I really want to hold off judgment until I see the whole draft and I start to learn a little more about these players. And so I'm glad I did because it didn't take, but I don't know, maybe an hour after the Brooks pick for me to actually start to like it. And I really like the Taylor pick right away and the Lewis pick again, a little bit weird, but then I read about the player and he was a really good player. And obviously now you're probably your starter. Um, Parkinson. Look, I still wanted Hunter Bryant over Parkinson, but whatever. Um, it is what it is. And then obviously Alton Robinson. I really like that pick. Uh, DJ Dallas, one of the best names in the draft. Um, it's, it's not quite as good as Utah Jones, but uh, it's pretty <laughs> solid. So uh, yeah, overall I like what they did. And now I'm, I'm expecting them to make a, fairly sizable splash or two in free agency between now and whenever training camp starts. So uh, overall, I, I like what they did this off season um, so far. Uh, I'll maybe go add Everson Griffin and um, Snacks Harrison and uh, let's go after the Super Bowl. So um, any, uh, any final thoughts on the draft before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think, you know, I'm right there with you. Uh, B plus. For me, I, I think it it didn't necessarily necessarily fit um, every need that they had, you know, especially in terms of the Jordan Brooks pick. You know, if you're keeping KJ right around, but I think you know you get a really good player there that's you know going to compete with Cody Barton and likely beat out Cody Barton and um and eventually be you know a hedge for Bobby. Um, Right, and I think, uh, you know, I I think it's also funny, you know, and I'm guilty of this as well, is that, you know, for a while now, many have pounded the table for the for the Seahawks to pick, you know, best player available on their board, mm-hmm. and then they finally do that, and people are like, well, why aren't you drafting for need? And the right. Seahawks have have made a lot of bad decisions drafting for need over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So I think, you know, the Packers uh, backing out of that deal with them, the Ravens would have taken mm-hmm. Jordan Brooks. You know, what did the Seahawks do there at 30 if the Packers had traded with them? Probably uh, take Taylor. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you know, but then what? It, take Taylor. And then what does your second round pick look like? You know, it's is that right. someone like Josh Uchi? You know, do you double yeah. up on, on pass rush there? Um, or do you go wide receiver? Do you take Damian Lewis there? Did you like him enough to take him at, you know, maybe they, you know, if they if they do trade back and they get Taylor, uh, maybe they don't trade up in the second round and they stick and pick Damian Lewis. It's 59. I don't know. Something to think about. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, the hypothetical draft, we'll never know um, how those things could have turned out. But, yeah, obviously, you know, it sounded like they were fully expecting to be able to trade down with Green Bay. And then at the last minute, Green Bay said no. And they got a better offer from Miami. And, you know, it sounds like Seattle was trying to trade out from that pick. But um, it also sounds like Kansas City and Detroit, were two teams that were trying to move up. They were trying to move up specifically to draft Jordan Brooks. 
Um, you know, so I think that comes from Jason Lock and Fora, by the way. So yeah, I just and you know, by the way, Brooks probably going to Baltimore. So just at the end of the day, it just you know, it is what it is, and maybe they look back on it a few years from now and they're happy that Green Bay didn't take their you know, or took a different deal. So who knows? But um you know, that hypothetical world, it just doesn't really do us any good to speculate on it right now. Um, but, you know, maybe down the line we can take a look at that. But overall, I'm quite happy with what this, the uh, Seahawks got accomplished this weekend. Um, I think they've gotten at least uh, at least three starters with their first three picks. And then I think they got some pretty solid contributing role players early in Alton Robinson, Parkinson, and DJ Dallas. And then they wrapped it up with a few, uh, you know, a few interesting uh, lottery tickets who, you know, um, may or may not make the the team, but I think are pretty excellent practice squad candidates. So, uh, like I said, overall, I'm I'm quite happy with how the draft went. Uh, now go out and spend that money that you created by releasing Justin Britt and DJ Fluker. Maybe go get you definitely need to get a defensive tackle, kind of a run stuffer. Um, but then maybe also go get yourself a nice edge player um, or maybe a nickel corner even. So we'll see what they decide to do. But I think that's going to wrap up this podcast for us, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening to the uh, Soto Mojo podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Soto Mojo FS. Like our Facebook page. Uh, visit uh, SotoMojo.com. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of uh, good stuff coming out right now. A lot, of, uh, a lot of things that you guys have asked us to tackle that we have. So be on the lookout for that and visit sotomojo.com and do us a favor and just read an article. And if you like it, please share it. It would really help us out. So um, Ty, unless you have any final words, we're out of here. Yep. Sounds good. Your final word is yep. Okay. Yep. Anyways. Thanks. That's it. <laughs> thanks again so much for listening guys. And I will see you in another, in another life. Peace out. Peace.